0: Why is it Occult Therapy? I choose this name because my work involves witchcraft and rituals, not necessarily the way you see it in movies. I'm not summoning demons. I'm mostly like summoning your inner demons. Occult is the thing that is unseen, that lie underneath. Let's face those darker side of ourselves instead of just putting a band-aid over it with a uh, Some unhealthy coping mechanism.
1: Welcome, everyone. Welcome to my podcast Sex and Art. In this podcast, I'll combine my passion for art and sex with my passion for very interesting people. In every episode, You'll be allowed a peek into their world and we'll find out how they connect to art and sex. I'm your host, Zira Berlin, and now let's find out who's our guest today.
2: Welcome, I don't say it in this wonderful, nice French accent you have. Welcome to the podcast, Sex and Art. I'm super excited to have you here. Yes, welcome to this space. Thank you. And thank you for having me. I'm very excited as well, a little bit nervous. <laughs> yeah, me too, because the topic we're talking about is kind of spicy. Before we start really into the podcast, I tend to mention a few little words so everybody knows what I'm doing here. And in the beginning of every episode, I would like to mention that with this podcast, I want to shine a light on fears, shame, pain, Uh, We might live through our lifetime, meaning I want to talk about the really hot topics. I want to talk about complicated stuff and taboos, something we shy away from usually to demystify and to normalize it, because I think this is really, really important. And there's so much power and energy in in these topics. Uh, And I know you're kind of working with things like that as well. Um, And I intend to create a safe space that means... um, You're also totally allowed and encouraged to say no to questions I ask if you feel that you don't want to ask them. I hope that that works for you as well. Perfect. Thank you very much. Wonderful. I know you over my good friend and lovely favorite model, Dana Concunction, on Instagram. She sent me a picture after she had a session with you. (laughs) I was... I don't know, scared, (laughs) excited, (laughs) fascinated. Um, I read on your homepage, you are a body piercer, therapist, body worker, ritual performer, life coach, and even a witch.
1: Maybe you want
2: to have a few words about what you're actually doing. Introduce yourself and your work. Okay, so... I see what
0: I do as, uh, I am a facilitator. I facilitate um, empowering experiences for people. And I do so by the means of hooks and ropes and rituals and this often is gonna lead to also conversation which uh, will come in the, life coaching, or as I like to call it better, um, guided shadow work. Um,
2: Yeah, and that's (laughs) the whole ritual. It sounds so normal when you say, I work with hooks and ropes. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you know, they, they are in the corner of the room and that's part of the therapy. We sometimes look at them. I saw on this picture with Dana that you actually put hooks through her... Is it the back muscle or where do you put these hooks through? Those hooks are designed
0: to be uh, holding human bodies up in the air. Mm. Wow. They are uh, completely uh, safe and as long as they are uh, used properly. I pierce only the skin. I do not pierce through the muscles or any other tissues. And of course, uh, my work required uh, a big amount of knowledge and experience to understand how to do this safely. Uh, because of, of course, the physical and mental health of, the, of my client is in my hands at this point. And if the hooks are put in the wrong place or improperly, it can be, can be dangerous. It can lead to infection or tearing or other
2: kind of accidents. It's so interesting that I made like a big mistake already. I was thinking like one needs to hold it somewhere that it you know that the it doesn't rupture, um, but it's totally wrong. One doesn't touch the muscle at all. I thought like how is it possible even to hold up? Skin um, is really strong. <laughs> yeah, one doesn't think that. I saw also a picture of someone um, where you pierced actually the belly, and that the belly skin was dragged in the air. Yes, body suspension uh, with
0: hooks can happen on so many different positions, body placement. Uh, you can hang from your back, but you can hang from your chest or your belly,
2: your your elbows, your forearm, your knees, your legs. This is unbelievable. So when I when I kind of um, want to explain to our listeners um, what you're doing. You, you need to correct me if I say something wrong, right? So, like, I was coming from um, bondage, kink-inspired idea to understand what you're doing. I saw the pictures, and you're also having an exhibition right now, right? Correct. Um, we need to put that in the link. Maybe one can also see that online. Very exciting. So uh, one can actually see um, parts of your work also on Instagram, And in this wonderful exhibition, very, very aesthetic and um, beautiful. Body suspension I learned about is like, you know, with ropes and bondage, like making yourself, I don't know, unmovable or someone is doing that for you. And then you kind of sometimes dragged in the air, not all of the time. Um, But you do that with ropes and you do it also with hooks so, like, one would hang maybe a dead animal. <laughs> yes,
0: uh, when people don't know what uh, hook suspension is, they will tend to uh, associate it with something they already know. Uh, so, quite often, people will associate it associated with BDSM, or like you mentioned, uh, animal hanging from hooks in the, at the butcher shop. Yeah it's not like this (laughs) it's not like this uh it's something um
2: way nicer (laughs) um you seem to enjoy it even and and your clients seem to enjoy it
0: uh yeah 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 Uh, nobody's being tortured everything is done with consent (laughs) yeah that's very important thing yeah right And, um, so I do practice suspension with hooks and also with ropes, like you mentioned rope bondage. Uh, I do not call it rope bondage. I just call it rope because rope bondage is very much associated with the BDSM side of it. Uh, while what I do has nothing to do with BDSM, I use it more as a therapeutic, uh, non-sexual, non-sensual, um, act. And there is some similarities between the hook suspension and the rope suspension, but there's also big differences between them. So, of course, as similarities, they both have this strong element of pain, which is the first thing that comes to people's mind when we talk about hook suspension, rope suspension. Like, oh, there's a hook pierced through human skin, that must be painful. Or you're hanging from ropes, you're cannot move that must be painful uh so yes pain is a strong element of this um activity but it's not the main focus and actually the pain element is more powerful because it's about the mind overcoming this physical pain so instead of being a physical pain it's just uh an intense physical sensation that through the strength of the mind overcoming it, it kind of become like a
2: background kind of noise. And it's not the center of the focus anymore. I told you in our first conversation that even the idea or just, you know, looking at pictures of your clients, this putting metal through the skin and then hanging from it kind of gives me a physical response, like a shiver, um, you mistook it as excitement and that I want to test it too. No, I don't. (laughs) But I think it's super exciting. And I'm so happy that I have friends who bring kind of new topics to me, um, which I feel a bit funny about. And because they are talking to me about it, I feel better about it. And I can like approach it more and understand this better. And it's also like, I'm not as squeamish anymore now that we talk i find it oh yeah hook suspension totally normal thing very interesting also to feel that in my body how fast one adapts to this kind of concept and idea you said your work is not sexual or sensual in any way why is that important for you that it is not
0: it's important because people will often uh, believe that uh, well it's there is rope involved rope is bdsm rope is something uh, sexual that you use with your partner in bed like well rope is a tool and there's many different ways to use it and uh, that's not how i use it it's uh, it's for me important that people understand that my work is nothing uh, sexual or sensual people see pictures of my work well, the, the client is often uh, in underwear or wearing very little clothing, sometimes even fully naked. I am completely okay with nakedness in my work for my client because I believe in the, in the freedom of the body uh, when we're experiencing such an empowering experience. I think one should be free to feel his body how he wants, with clothes that make them feel comfortable or make them feel beautiful or without clothes and experience this full freedom of the body, but not in a sexual way. Uh, What I do has nothing to do with sexuality. Um, Doesn't mean that rope suspension or hook suspension never have to be sexual. There is people who will facilitate it in a sexual way That's fine. Absolutely. I encourage people to do what they want to do. That's why I always have a consultation with my clients beforehand to understand what are their intention and what what do they desire from this experience. So if I am the right facilitator for you, great. If I am not, I will try to help you find the person uh, who will be there
2: facilitating what you desire. And it's so nice to hear you speaking, actually, because it seems like you're bursting of knowledge. There's so much you can tell us about your job. And there is a reason why you call it the occult therapy, right? So this therapeutic part seems to be very important. And you use all you learned throughout your career or throughout your life for, you know, making lives of others better. Is that correct?
0: Uh, This is definitely what i try my best to do
2: (laughs) (laughs) so maybe you want to talk a little bit about how did you actually become this um artistic creature you are so it's been now 12 years
0: that i am a facilitator and i'm involved in body suspension and and all of this so 12 years ago i experienced on my own skin my first uh, hook suspension i fairly quickly uh start to facilitate myself within the team that suspended me. I continue learning and uh, trying to become better and better at uh, at this practice. Um, rope started more as a, a rope bondage uh, kink kind of thing. Uh, then it developed into a tool for performances. A few years ago, I had a crew of uh, Freak Show performers. Wow. Uh, Yeah, it was pretty fun. We are doing performances uh, with hooks and ropes and lots of other things, Uh, glass walk, for example. And after this experience with, uh, with a Freak Show, I realized that actually being on stage, doing entertainment was not really what I wanted. I really wanted to go back and focusing on Facilitating private experiences for people because of the empowering uh, effect it has on the client. And I really start to put all my focus and intention on that rope suspension. Uh, I realize it has a huge psychological, therapeutic effect. Mm. People started to open up after a session and really talking to me suddenly about what is going on in their life, some maybe sometimes things from the past. I realized that I had a responsibility there because when people open up, especially after such an experience that makes you so vulnerable, if what I facilitated for them brings them to the point of opening up, mm-hmm. I needed to be able to <clears throat> hold a safe space. Yeah. And at the beginning, I was like, oh, okay, Charlene, don't, don't say anything wrong. Be very careful because I didn't want it to maybe, you know, try to be supportive and make a mistake and maybe invalidate their feelings or maybe uh, dismiss a topic that was too important or simply say the
2: wrong thing. How come that you were aware that that could be a thing?
0: Well, I I think I'm naturally an empathic person Mm -hmm. and I try to be aware of uh, what's going on within myself, within others. doesn't mean that I get everything right all the time, but uh, I think having this natural awareness uh, was already there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, So I wanted to develop it further uh, to make sure I could hold space safely. Uh, so this led me to study uh, life coaching. I took course of uh, mental health first aid. And I continue all the time reading about psychology and trauma, self-help book. So building even more self-awareness, which I can also use with my clients, of course.
2: Yeah, wow. <clears throat> and I think this is something um, I find uh, super reassuring about you. How, how did you learn about that pain is a therapeutic tool well you know doing this for 12 years at some point you kind of
0: get a hint you know <laughs> <laughs> well i experienced it on my own self of course yeah. uh i've seen what happened with me when i suspended and then i get of course the feedback of my clients whether they talk about it or not like i can i can see the body language i can see I i I can tell what's going on a little bit, you know? Yeah. And uh, there is something extremely empowering in facing your fears mm. and still going for it and coming out so much stronger. And you see all the, the, the adrenaline you can have after, uh, and excitement you can have after a session, you know?
2: Because,
0: mm. wow, you did it.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's a bit like uh, I survived. Um, I can imagine. <laughs> you, you told me in our first talk, I was asking who are actually the people who are coming. Maybe you want to share a little bit about um, who that might be and what their reasons are to come. Most of my clients are female
0: identifying persons. Hmm. Interesting. Uh- I still do have also uh, some non-binary people, some transgender and uh, cis male as well. So I I would say I can have all kinds of people. Some people are fully tattooed and modified. Some have zero tattoo and, or zero piercings experience. Some people come from a BDSM background, others not at all. I would say they are, Age range of between mid 20s and 40s. But yeah, I will say most people are female. And um, a lot of those females actually reach out to me because I am myself uh, a woman, because a lot of them have traumas. And those traumas can be often uh, inflicted by male. And uh, so they feel a bit safer with a woman also, because women tend to be more empathic, not saying that males are not empathic. A lot of them are. Uh, But generally speaking, they get taught to not be in the early years. A lot of them as well. And actually I will work with some uh, male client who, do suffer from this, from the toxic masculinity itself, you know. So yes, most of my client will be uh, female who want this uh, female energy. Um, even though I identify myself as non-binary, but I do feel strongly my female energy, which is very, you know, female energy, empathy, and uh, and kindness. But in the same time, I have a strong uh, male energy, which helped me being in charge during those sessions and being having strong presence in my work. I will go through those rituals with those women and try to help them work through their traumas. And sometimes they simply regaining. They need to find their strengths again. They need to find themselves again. Allowing yourself to be vulnerable with someone It's also extremely powerful when a event of trauma make us lose trust in people, allowing yourself to be
2: vulnerable with a stranger. It's extremely powerful. I like that you do a one hour talk before where you also basically go through what the person wants from you and also you offer stuff. Um, Would there be a situation where you say no to a client?
0: Uh, yes. If I see that uh, what they desire from me is not something that uh, is within my boundaries, uh, I will say no. Or if I think that I might not be the right facilitator for them, I will um, move them towards someone who's like more likely to give them what they want. Uh, also, for me, it's extremely
2: important that uh, people are sober. It's very important, I find. Um, I'm doing myself a trauma education right now in somatic experiencing, um, and this, what you say, sounds pretty much like what we are uh, learning there, um, so that trauma is a situation where you get stuck um, in a situation, in energy, where you connect like a happening and a physical Um, inability of reacting and you say you put people into a situation where they actually are in the lead even though you are kind of mind binding them Um, but there is like um, their free will of doing that and also their authority over the situation and how it is designed and played out.
0: Yeah correct through the consultation there will be an understanding of what they want and Mm -hmm. what I can provide Again, before the session starts, we will once again talk about boundaries, limits, how things will happen uh, to make sure we are on the same page and there is consent for everything. Because this is a very powerful experience. Uh, It's important that they feel comfortable with everything that's going to happen. Also, knowing that at any given point, they can say stop
1: Mm -hmm.
2: and that stop will be respected. That's also very important for someone who has not experienced something like that or has maybe um, experienced something horrible to know that they are in charge all the time. Um, Dana also explained that during your session with her, she found she was really well-held. You created, I mean, she said, you're the world's best hooker. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure whether she used that word. (laughs) Could be misunderstood now. Um, we, uh,
0: as, a, as a, in a hook suspension community, we we do refer to each other as
2: hookers, yeah. <laughs> I think that's very lovely. I, I, I enjoy that, it's, um, Mister, it's fun, that's very nice. Um, oh my god, I have so many questions, I don't know where to start. Um, so, like, when I thought you're a piercer, you know, when I first learned about you I thought okay you know I read on the homepage. of course I knew already you do the hook thing but when one learns to become a piercer I thought one learns how to make piercings in the nose and in the lip maybe the tongue or nipples or something exciting Uh okay good but is it like um is it a totally different um education you you call it an apprenticeship actually what you did with a group of people when you say you started piercing, more like piercing the skin and the more, I don't know, all kinds of needles through all kinds of body parts? Body
0: suspension facilitator and body piercer, uh, learning uh, has a lot of similarities. Of course, being a body piercer really helped to be a good at body suspension. Okay, parentheses, I started with body suspension And shortly after that, I started uh, body piercing. With body piercing, you can learn how to work in the aseptic technique, which means how to be clean. You can learn how to sterilize your equipment, but that's not all the skills that a body suspension facilitator needs because there is also all the rigging part, etc. The rigging part is the equipment we will use to elevate the body. And body piercing, of course, helped me also to, on a daily basis, have people coming in the shop with some fears about pain. Mm. Having to handle those fears, helping them to go through the experience as nicely possible rather than making it a traumatic experience. I think,
2: from my perspective, we have established that you're well-equipped, taking good care of your clients, Um, which leads me through like the slightly darker part of our conversation um, because it's occult therapy. So I want to talk about what what you mean when you talk about occult. Let our listeners and me know a little bit more about the occult part and the witchcraft part of your work. Why
0: is it occult therapy? I choose this name because, of course, my work involves witchcraft and rituals. Witchcraft, uh, not necessarily the way you see it in movies i'm not summoning demons i'm mostly like summoning your inner demons Mm. so this is the occult part occult is the thing that is unseen that lie underneath which is this part of ourselves that we bury deep inside and quite often we don't really want to see it so through my work we bring this part a bit more outside this is where the vulnerability comes up of course. Uh, but also let's face those darker side of ourselves, and let's face those things that uh, need to be healed instead of uh, just putting a band-aid over it with uh, some unhealthy coping mechanism.
2: You write on your homepage, find your light through the darkness. I love that. Mm-hmm. thank you <laughs> some time ago I did an um, exhibition I think it was uh, with the um, Neukölln art festival something um, and it was all about shadow and I invited people to write down their darkest shadow because I believe and you know throughout my own work with myself and um, all the therapeutic and coaching stuff I learned in my life um, that if you bring your darkness into the light, can give a lot of energy and accepting it more, and also it was impressive to see that how many people could actually, um, yeah, understand what other people wrote and, and find themselves in what other people wrote. This is uh, remind me a lot to
0: something I do sometime on Sundays. I make this uh, kind of little call it game uh with the instagram stories where i invite people to share their secrets mm. and the next day i publish the secrets of course anonymously so the person who sent me the secret can get rid of the weight of hiding this yeah or maybe even the the shame of like oh, if someone find out my secret i'm in shame so They send it to me in a safe space. They know I'm not there to judge them. I'm not even comment on their secret unless they ask me for it. So they can let it out and get rid of the burden of hiding this. And then the next day when I publish them, people can read those secrets, maybe relate to them and don't feel alone anymore because like, oh, someone else is feeling the same or someone else think or did the same. And it helps them to normalize those feelings.
2: That's so interesting that we're basically doing the same thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> or at least we're working on the same cause. Yeah <laughs> very very cool. I love that I really love that and I love your energy. it's really beautiful. There was one question um, in the questions I sent to you which I asked quite twice um, maybe because I think it's very important and it's uh, what you find most fascinating about your work the effect it has on people's
0: life and how they perceive themselves i get feedbacks uh from my clients after the session and sometimes the feedback is right away because after the session we're gonna have a talk and you know i had people telling me wow through this session i felt self-love for the first time wow Or they had just major breakthrough uh, and understood things. Um, And sometimes it's days or weeks later, uh, they will tell me the effect it has on their life and how they can finally accept themselves. Or there's so many things that can happen. They find the strengths they needed. They find themselves again. Um, And to see that this session that we had together can have such a strong and positive impact on their life. I mean, I get it because I remember my suspensions and how they, they affected my life in a positive way. So I'm just fascinated uh, how that works also for other people. And I'm just grateful I could give them uh, this chance to help themselves. Exactly.
2: This is so interesting. When I look at you right now, when you talk about that, it looks like you're still astonished that your work can do these kind of miracles. Um, And maybe that's also part of the witchcraft, that it actually works, that you can do stuff which is so intense and so powerful. Of course. I mean, yes, I'm still amazed of it because
0: I'm human, you know, and I have my dark side as well. And you know, sometimes I will wake up in the morning and I will be like, what am I doing? The occult therapy? Are you fucking kidding me? This no, this is bullshit. And I doubt myself. Oh, that's interesting. Of course. I mean, I think so many people have insecurities, mm. but we don't talk about it because we don't want to look insecure. And this is where the occult thing comes in. like no let's bring that up let's work it let's let's normalize this as well that's why i like to talk about things like this about me and like to help normalize it i'm still a strong independent woman and i still you know sometimes i have insecurity and doubts and so i will i will sometimes wake up and have all those insecurities and later on that day i will receive a message to a client telling me like they still feel it they still feel the energy of the ritual with it and they are so grateful for it. I'm like, oh
2: my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you you facilitated that. That's such a beautiful gift you can give to the world. Wow. Yeah, I can understand. That makes one feel good. Very cool. What kind of prejudice do you come across most often regarding your work? Another topic
0: on which I will feel people having prejudice about my work is sometimes about Uh, the mental health behind it. Mm -hmm. Uh, People who are not really familiar with what I do will be very quickly judging it as self-harming. Yeah, especially therapists will have huge difficulties to understand uh, what I do and what my clients do or other, you know, suspendees Mm -hmm. do. It's very easy to judge uh this at self harm because they just understand oh you you're inflicting pain on yourself and i have to try to make them understand the difference uh between self harming and self empowering through this pain uh which is yet self inflicted but there's a very thin line between self empowerment and um Self-arm, and this line is the intention. When in my work, the intention is to be self-empowered uh, through the means of pain, because then our mind becomes so strong to overcome this physical pain, this physical intense sensation, uh, and people can really heal. And this is where the somatic therapy uh, come in the picture. We're doing a body work for healing because a lot of the trauma, a lot of the pain is stored in the body. Yeah. And using the body and putting it through very powerful situation and growing from there, healing from there and knowing that this not self-arm in the way that people are doing this at home alone, unsupervised. They are seeking a professional someone with experience uh, to facilitate for them. Self-harm is putting yourself in danger. In my work, people are not putting themselves in danger. They are putting themselves in the hand of a professional. Yet, a lot of people uh, struggle to understand
2: this difference. Because it touches all our darkest fears and our taboos and things we're not talking about. Um, And I think it just takes a good conversation with you um, them to understand that you're a clever, honest and wise human being who is facilitating a space which is very seldom found, right? And if we look into more ancient or more traditional cultures, they did have these elements in their culture. and we just shy away from it. like, you know, I'm working more on the pleasure part, learning how to really feel pleasure in your body. We also rip that out of our life. And so um, I kind of see us working on the same thing on, on the other side. <laughs> I have many
0: friends who are sex workers and see it as a, as a healing uh, technique as well, uh, working on finding the pleasure in our bodies. Yeah. Um, I have friends who are uh, practicing or going to uh, alternative therapies because I will blame it on society, like you say, all those taboos. Uh, it's so it's society that uh, impose them on us. Because apparently, to to heal, I mean, not heal, but to like feel good, we have to suppress all those darker side of ourselves, put them really deep down, and cover them with consumerism, go shopping. Go buy yourself uh, an ice cream, go buy yourself a day at the spa, go buy yourself a new trending clothing, just spend money so
2: you can feel good. Yeah, form of oppression, if you ask me. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> and I truly believe that um, if we're not putting all these lids on our feelings, maybe the positive, shiny ones or the so called dark, negative ones. Um, That starts worse if we do that. So Mm -hmm. let's make a little peace with the whole we are. Agreed. Thanks for sharing that. That was an important, not a bit. Okay, what's my next question? We didn't really talk so much about the occult part. I just want to go really into what makes people probably think like, oh, that's a really dark issue, what she's doing there. I'm not sure about it. So let's talk about that.
0: I think I always felt attracted to the occult uh since i was a kid well i was a bit of a loner kid <laughs> very attracted to all the goth and uh and freaky stuff and um i had also a couple of um paranormal experiences when i was little hmm. you know when you're with friends and calling the spirits or stuff like this ah. yeah, of course i did it you know <laughs> <laughs> and uh growing up i kind of tried to you know, dismiss this and be like, oh, that's just God's kid bullshit, you know. And uh, I kind of like fell apart from my spirituality, which uh, after doing my first suspension and seeing, you know, being a facilitator, seeing the spiritual things that could be here and there, even though the first crew uh, I was facilitating with was not necessarily uh, something spiritual we were doing. Um, It was more like, yeah, suspension event. Um, I started to see the the spirituality in suspension and I really wanted to reconnect with this. And this is part of the, the, the healing process as well. Suspension did something to me. I started to, it was a very big step in my, healing journey so naturally came also the, the spirituality part and it took me uh took me a little bit to to find my spirituality again i was searching to reconnect with my spirituality uh, through this search uh, i ended up in uh, north of the usa with a core which was um suspension crew uh, was doing spiritual uh, rituals mm. with hook suspension. They were doing also performance of ritualistic uh, suspension. So I ended up working with them on a performance, which was, I was still not connected to it, but I could you know, slowly get closer to it. And we did a private ritual with them as well, where I did my first uh, hook pull. Me and Steve Joyner got a hook you know, in the center of our chest and got connected to each other and pulled away for, from each other. Mm. And we call that the uh, energy pool. So you create this connection and you go into a meditation, which I was still not there with my spirituality. So I still could not really relax or meditate through it. I was still like, so what am I supposed to do now? <laughs> uh, then still through this journey, I ended up in Mexico and i was uh, visiting mexico and ended up uh with a shaman there and at this uh, session with a shaman and i know i was still like hmm what am i supposed to do <laughs> but it was another step uh, uh toward it and then along this journey i finally reconnect to my spirituality and um I started to read a lot about uh, occultism and spirituality from so many different point of views. Um, I read stuff about uh, dark arts and satanism as well as Hare Krishna and all in between.
2: (laughs) I was thinking, it sounds a little bit like what the Tantra people call shamanism. Um, Mm -hmm. and Because you connect it to spiritualism as well. I find it interesting because what I see is the shamanism and the Tantra part is basically what I call um therapy tools. would you would you say it's the same? I mean, I was wondering what is actually the occult part. I saw that quote on Instagram
0: the other day and saying, well, witchcraft is basically spicy psychology. and I, I kind of agree with this because the way I use witchcraft is the path to healing which is psychology and studying life coaching. I was reading through the manual of life coaching from Oxford university and reading through that, I was like, well, right there, you're talking about manifestation. Oh, right there, you're talking about chaos magic. This what you're teaching me, it's a mudra. And it was like all the things that I know from spiritualism and and witchcraft was in a manual from Oxford University. <laughs> For me, psychology and witchcraft is just like, it's overlapping in so mm-hmm. many ways. And uh, the thing is like quite often in psychology, they don't believe in it. It's like, but this is what you're doing. It's like finding yourself, you know, and finding your, your path and your, your healing journey. So I do use symbols. I do, do use uh, sigils occasionally. Sigils, it's... um. Graphic representation of an intention. Okay. So you can write down a phrase of what you desire to manifest and break it down to just a few letters, which you will, you know, put together and it will make like to your eyes, it might look like a logo, for example. Mm-hmm. But in witchcraft, it would be a sigil with like this little symbol that you created. It's not a pentagram. It's not something that already exists, something that you created and it holds the power of your intention. I practice bloodletting rituals. I'm not gonna say that the way I practice uh, blood rituals is the way to practice blood magic. Anyone can do what the fuck they want. I can only tell you the way I practice it. So blood represents life to me. When we bleed, we can let go of what we don't need anymore. We can also use it to give life to our intentions. I really uh, like to write on paper my intentions and bleed on it to give it life. Um, Also, bleeding can be a sacrifice. You know, we... Witchcraft in movies, they might want to sacrifice a virgin. I live in Berlin. It's very difficult to find a virgin (laughs) here.
2: Good (laughs) joke. I love
0: it. (laughs) So I will sacrifice my own blood. Oh, my client's blood will sacrifice it for for their own uh, um, intentions. So by giving my blood, I'm giving my life.
2: I, I think you also work with a lot of humor besides blood rituals. Well, I mean, you know, life is fun. It yeah, is. Yeah,
0: and, and uh, not everything has to be so serious all the time. Uh, it's important to, to be able to have a love because, you know, when you work with such a intense energies, such a dark energy, sometimes you need to crack a joke or two to make everything lighter and able to be handled again, you yeah. know? So that's why I always ask my client, what kind of atmosphere do you wish for your session, for your ritual? And I also remind them that uh, it's it's good to have already some, um, it's good to have some expectations. People nowadays will say, oh, I don't have expectations about anything. I just take things as they go. I call that toxic positivity Mm -hmm. because I think as a human being, we have expectations and I believe it's normal to have expectations. What is important is to also be flexible to whatever will come. Because if you have expectation and you are unflexible, this is where it becomes you know, toxic for yourself because then you get extremely irritated when your expectations are not met. But if you have expectations, that means you have certain goals, you have certain ideals you want to reach and being flexible, you will be able to handle the situation not going as you wished, no matter what will happen what is meant to happen. So I tell my clients to, it's okay to have expectation, but be flexible. So if you come to this ritual thinking like, oh, that's going to be a very spooky, witchy rituals, and we're going to be very serious the entire time. And I'm going to be so focused, like, yeah, and maybe you get hooks in your skin and you get the adrenaline, you know, kicking in, and then you're like super bubbly and happy and cracking jokes. Like, this is cool too. This is part of the ritual as well. And- me and my assistants uh, we will go along with it you know Um, if you feel like cracking jokes we will if you feel like crying we will hold space for you
2: yeah it sounds like um it's really good that you're such a strong well-experienced woman to hold all of it to not like play something you know you you said before that you still weren't feeling your spirituality what do i need to do Um, it's also this um, being able to receive not your just your own life but also the life of the other person the whole original of the other person very well I find this very impressive we need to go back to the (laughs) bloodletting I saw a picture where you needled someone's forehead Um, I don't know were that syringes or something it looked very spooky what would that be so for the bloodletting rituals,
0: I will use uh, needles. Uh, there's different kinds of needles I may use. Uh, most often they will be hypodermic needles, I think they're called. Uh, it's needles I can buy in the pharmacy. Uh, I will use sometimes also needle blades, which are the needles I can use for body piercing. But yeah, bloodletting will happen mostly through needles uh, being pierced through the skin just through the skin I do not go and uh, do needles in the vein in the arms or stuff like Mm. this so it's very very superficial
2: because one could think that like bloodletting you just uh, cut the wrist open or something dark
0: no 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 no
2: I do want uh, my clients to be
0: alive uh, after (laughs) 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 Uh, I do not cut palms with a dagger (laughs) which is a classical scene of a movie which every time like i'm like oh my god i can't believe they did that because i mean just imagine the dagger first of all is not sterile everybody's using the same so you can have cross-contamination you can give disease to each another uh you can um so you can get yourself infections uh why is the palm it's like seriously that thing is going to take forever to heal. You need your hands to do everything every day. Like who would use that? Like that doesn't make any sense. So we do not cut our palms when we make a blood magic ritual. We put needles in our forehead. There's way more blood vessel in the forehead. Ah. So you, <laughs> you will get a lot more blood
2: from that than from cutting your palms. Very interesting. That, so it's I just, I'm blown away by what, well, knowledge is behind all of that. Is there something else um, many people misunderstand about your job, about your offerings, um, what you would like to get rid of or teach people about?
0: No, about the occult part of my job, I don't really um, run into uh, prejudice also because Witchcraft is really trendy nowadays.
2: Especially in Berlin.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Prejudice toward my work would be more about the rope suspension. People still associate uh, rope only with BDSM. And I do occasionally, um, sometimes multiple times a week, sometimes fortunately not for a few months, but I do get people... uh, coming in my DMs and asking me to be their mistress and telling me that they want to be my slave and they want to do all sorts of things uh, for me and I'm like ah you you got the wrong person <laughs> um, I I am not a domino mm-hmm. I am not gonna lie in the past I played with uh, the, the idea and the act of BDSM and uh but I just realize it's uh it's not my thing, especially not for work. Yeah. Um nothing wrong with that. I'm more than happy when I see someone who's someone in my DM who's being respectfully asking me to be their mistress. I'm gonna let them know that I am not the person for them. And I will even redirect them to some uh of my friends who are sex workers. In the BDSM industry and be like, I am not your domino because I am not a domino, but I can send you to this person who will very likely uh, be the right person for you.
2: Yeah, and I find it also interesting and and important to mention that um, your job is not your personal um, life, so it could well be that you find this interesting in your private life, um, but this has nothing to do with the sessions you offer to clients. Well, you will never know. (laughs) Exactly. I will never know. But what I would like to know, if I am like a standard vanilla person who is a bit more excited about testing out things, is there like a beginner session where you don't hook, or where you do like a little bit of the stuff, but not so much of it? Like, you know, like a beginner session. Usually we don't really get
0: to that because um through the consultation and when people talk with me about either they're interested in hook suspension or rope suspension or bloodletting uh, they explain me their interests and ask them their intention why they want to do this and they get the occasion to to ask all the questions they can ask all the questions they have about the topic and uh, providing, you know, the answers and also the enthusiasm that goes with it before doing a full hook suspension, someone can do a hook pull where let's put some hooks through the skin and you just pull on them Uh and you control how much you want, how much tension you want to have Mm -hmm. without having the final expectation of completely being lifted in the air. Yeah. So this is kind of like in-between step, okay. Um, but most people, when they contact me about hook suspension, they will go for the full thing. Uh, and with rope suspension, I facilitate a lot of first-timers. Oh! Yeah, and uh, there is absolutely no um, no experience needed. I know some riggers from the shibari scene that will say, "Oh." I don't hang from rope. Someone who has zero experience with rope, and I respect that. In my case, because I have so much experience with uh, first timers, I know I will do a tie that will not be so extreme. Uh, I know how long the session should last to don't be too much, and also I keep reading their body language to know Mm -hmm. how they're doing, and of course when we had the talk before the session, I tell them how important it is that they can say stop, mm-hmm. that I, say, I will not be disappointed if they say stop. They should not be disappointed in themselves if they say stop, which actually is they respecting their own needs and their own boundaries. And this is extremely important. It's very powerful to be able to respect your own needs but when we feel disappointed in ourselves for not going through with something why you obviously needed to stop and that's okay actually saying stop is very powerful
2: yeah absolutely yeah. yes owning your nose is amazing um is there a situation or has there been a situation in your practice where uh, someone wanted to go over their limits and you recommended to not to stop
0: Oh, of course, quite often people who don't have experience, they see pictures of my work and they see hooks mixed with rope suspension or with bloodletting and they want to experience all at once. I'm like, wait a second. I don't mix all of this for first timer because you need to learn how your body will react and your mind as well. So, try a hook suspension, understand how your body and your mind uh, experience that. Then, try a rope suspension and understand there how your body and your mind react to that. Try to have a little bit of bloodletting to see how you feel about it, you know. And when you acquire some experience, then we can mix those things together. But first, I need you to understand how you react. I recommend people to build experience in individual things
2: before uh, mixing them together. Mm. You um, write on your homepage that the session takes about two hours. Um, And you also said before that you um, recommend how long the actual suspension could last.
0: It's very difficult to say how long exactly it will last, especially with hook suspension, Uh, of course, Through many years of experience, I can know more or less a chest suspension, how long it will last versus back suspension. Rope suspension, it's a bit easier because I am the one deciding how long it will last. Uh, We didn't talk about the differences between hooks and ropes, Mm. but one of the differences during rope suspension, I decide how long it lasts and I take many more decisions. So I can give an approximate time of how long it will last so they can have an understanding of like, uh,
2: how much of their day it will take. And, um, do you recommend your clients? I dunno, you said no alcohol, uh, before no drugs. Um, I dunno, some kind of introduction for themselves before they come and maybe some aftercare.
0: Yeah, so to prepare themselves, um, like we mentioned, I will tell them to avoid alcohol, avoid uh, drugs, even caffeine. Uh, mm-hmm. I will tell them to stop coffee or um, sugary, too, too much sugary things, like uh, heavily processed sugar, like too much snack, candies, or stuff like this, because the sugar gives you a rush and then give you a down. Yeah. Same with coffee, give your boost, and then like you go down again. Um, So I try to have them body, to have them prepare their body as healthy as possible. Mm -hmm. So if they can get into this little routine for a few days of being very healthy, doesn't mean that someone has to go on a diet. Like I tell them, please don't go on a diet. You know, that will be like too much changes. Your body need time to adapt to that so make sure you eat your carbs and you eat your protein uh, and you eat enough and but maybe drink more water sleep enough don't party the night before to have your body as healthy as possible Mm -hmm. to prepare their mind i tell them to do a lot of visualization try to imagine in your mind how it will go and not to create more expectation but because More you train your mind that, oh, I will go up, it will feel nice, more it will actually be rather than, you know, building fears and being like, oh my God, in three days I'm going to suspend, I'm so nervous. Like that's not going to help. More you focus on the pain and you build fear around the pain, more it's going to hurt. Mm -hmm. And that's actually studies uh, uh, supporting that. Uh, So I tell them to visualize it in very Positive manner uh, so they can come mentally prepared. I will also recommend them to uh, journal about it. If they are into writing, if they like that, uh, they can start, you know, uh, writing about how they feel about it, what they hope to get from it. And it's something that they can do also after the suspension, continuing to journal about it. For after the suspension, so for their uh, physical need that tells them to rest doesn't mean that they need to be a couch potato for a day. That's not going to help either. Uh, but not to go to the gym, not to have a huge amount of social interaction with everybody and just having the agenda full. Like you can go to work, but maybe uh, also take time for yourself to think and process what you just experienced. Mm-hmm. Also for your body to heal. Um, it's a it's a big it's a wound uh, it's something big for your body to process as well uh of course more you suspend it, the easier it gets uh, but yeah giving space for the body to heal and for the mind to process it uh it's okay to see some friends but maybe rather choose a friend that will be okay to talk about body suspension rather than the person who will be totally terrified and be like oh that's disgusting and judging you for what you did Choose your interaction accordingly.
2: It sounds like you're having these talks a lot. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> Every time. Absolutely. That's super nice. So people can be a little bit more prepared and they can reach out to you um, via your homepage, theocculttherapy.com. That was right? Yes, correct. Um, is there something else we haven't touched yet you really want to let our listeners know?
0: Yeah, I mentioned the differences between hook suspension and rope suspension. Not every person who is into hook suspension will be in rope suspension and vice versa, Uh, but sometimes they are. And I like to offer both the experiences because I see potential in both of them uh, to help people through their healing and empowerment. As we spoke, there is a very similar element between the two experiences, which is a pain element, but also there is a huge difference, which is with hook suspension, the client, the suspendee is in charge through the entire experience. While with rope suspension, uh, the client will give up control. Mm. All of this is done with consent, and with a proper talk beforehand. So with hook suspension, the suspender is in control. The suspender is saying when is it's ready to be pierced, because I will ask, are you ready? The suspender decides which position they're going to they're gonna hang from. Of course, if they have a lot of experience, and we we work together many times i can also sometimes suggest stuff because they ask me if i know them i will i might know what they need in that mm-hmm. moment uh, but normally with a hook suspension the suspend is deciding the position more or less where the hooks will go like do you want to hang from your knees or from your back uh, they will say when they are ready to be pierced they will say when they are ready to go up in the air they will say if they want to be swing or to be spin or to be left static. And they will say when they are ready to come down.
2: Okay. Is that because it has a different impact on the body slash mind? Or why are you using these two tools differently?
0: It's I think it's just from the history of it. Mm. Because with hook suspension, there is a piece of metal Pierce through the skin, we are breaking the skin, mm. we are making a wound. And so this is a huge like, whoa, okay, let's be careful with that. Let's keep communication going through the entire time now. Yeah. And yeah, so through the history of, of modern body suspension, it was always uh, the suspendee, you know, having a say in every little step. Rope suspension, with me, at least the way I facilitate rope suspension, uh, we would have a talk with the client. So everything is with consent, within boundaries. But when we start, this is when they they are giving me control. So I decide when we start to tie, I decide which position, which tie I will use. I will decide how and when to make transitions in the position. I will decide when they're coming down. I will even decide the music that's going on. I will decide on the smell that there will be in the room. Mm. And the reason why is because I can give them a space where they're feeling completely safe and taken care of so they can quiet their mind because they don't need to take any decision anymore.
2: Mm. It's
0: extremely peaceful to not having to take any decision. And I believe in rope suspension, there is this approach for also the history of it. You are being restricted. It's not all black and white. There's a lot of gray area in there. And actually having a conversation with a friend of mine a couple of years ago, uh, we were thinking, why is so? Because this friend of mine, she's also both, uh, enjoy hook suspension and rope suspension and practice and facilitate both of them. And we're like, why can't there be giving up control when you're on hook suspension? And again, comes the topic of like, well, you know, you're making a wound in the body, there's a lot of pain. And, you know, it's just like, if you are making a wound in someone's body against their consent or against their them being in charge of what is happening, Kind of sounds like a torture, no? Mm -hmm. But why if there is enough communication, enough negotiating, enough trust that we can inflict a wound in someone without it being torture, with actually it being very welcome. And so recently I'm starting to to play a bit with this idea of uh, doing a hook suspension with what I call the rope suspension approach. Mm -hmm. And we will negotiate about like, at which point do you want to give up control? At which point am I in charge in making the decision before I pierce you, after I pierce you? Uh, And so I started to make some suspension where maybe before we together decide where the hooks will be. And then you give, my client give up control to me. And then I decide when I pierce them, I might give them a hint being like, okay, and this is negotiated before. Do you still want me to tell you to breathe in and breathe out of the moment of piercing? Or should I not tell you to breathe in and breathe out? Am I going to pierce you before or after? Uh, The marking definitely, I kind of want the person to to give consent because a millimeter difference can, can do a lot. Yeah. Uh, but I had hook suspension where kind of I decided when my suspendee was going up. Which for people who experience hook suspension is like, whoa, that's, that's, that's huge, you know, because mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's so specific when you are ready for going up on hooks. But through my work, I really enhanced my uh, body language reading, I think. And, you know, when I facilitate the suspension where I decided when the suspendee will go up on hook suspension, I was reading their body language. So even though they were not communicating verbally to me, but I still understood when they needed to stop there a little bit and have some coaching and be like telling me, me telling them to breathe, to relax, to relax their shoulder maybe. When I see that they're like, oh, this person is, is about to maybe feel dizziness you know and then when i see that their body feels like more relaxed and breathing normally i'm like okay i think they are ready to go up now and so i decide when they go up so they didn't communicate verbally anything to me but their body communicated it to me and this is how i could decide when they go up
2: yeah i think that the big difference is you're not doing it for your pleasure um but yes. for the healing of the other person you're working with. Absolutely. Uh, and
0: this is definitely, you've you phrased it perfectly, why my work is not something uh, related to BDSM. Um, I am not doing this for my pleasure. I'm doing this uh, for the need of my clients. As a somatic therapist?
2: Yes. Wow. <laughs> I'm so hooked, I have to say. <laughs> I got wet hands again from the last part. Sounds like there's a lot more to discover in the conversation with you. It was a lot and um, maybe we see each other again for, for a second chat about that. Super exciting. Yeah, thank you so much. I I don't know, I don't know really how to finish that. I'm hooked on you, on your topic. And I hope um, many people will be more comfortable with uh, listening about that and being understanding and maybe also finding their kind of um, therapy easier through this little talk we just had. Thanks for being here, Charlene.
0: Thanks so much for uh, this
2: conversation. I'm stunned. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Have a wonderful day and see you soon. Thank you. Bye.
1: thank you lovely humans for listening to this episode of my podcast sex and art if you want to support this podcast please don't forget to like and subscribe and i hope we hear each other soon in the next episode have a lovely day